Welcome to the last episode of the first season of the podcast, What Are You Going to Do With That? of the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law Under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa. You're listening to our 20th episode, which is the last one of the first season. But don't worry, we will be back soon with more guests, more episodes, and more gifts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in season two. So keep following us on social media. This podcast recording is slightly different than all the episodes we've done so far. Today, I'm chatting with an early career researcher, as usual, but we will mostly review the conversations that I've had with previous guests and their highlights, because the guest of today is Ido Rosenzweig. He is the producer and editor of What Are You Going To Do With That? So welcome, Ido, to this side of the podcast. I'm very glad that you decided to step from behind the scenes into the spotlight with me today. Hi, Danny. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Me? <laughs> yeah, okay. No, I'm very happy to have you here. Don't worry. You should have come on earlier episodes. Well, you know, this time I want to leave you all the glory. <laughs> well, thanks for that. I'm going to start pouring myself my drink, which is this Rono, but I know that you have your own signature drink, which is... I'm not sure if it's signature drink... But it's something I really, really like. It's definitely a good whiskey. And this time I have with me a special edition of Johnny Walker, which is a, a White Walker edition of Johnny Walker. O on top of it, you actually have the Johnny Walker logo. But the thing is, when you put it in the freezer and the bottle gets cold, his eyes become blue. Ooh, that sounds very fancy. Is that a special edition then? It's a Game of Thrones special edition. Cool. So let's pop it open and tell me what it's like. I'm also opening mine. There you go. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. That looks good. It does. I still like the sweet things better, so I think I'm good with my own stuff on this side. Of the camera? Oh, at the Minerva Center, we have an, uh, pretty much an annual Young Researchers Workshop where we bring guests from all over the world, which of course you're familiar with because you participated in, in at least one of them, I think two even, maybe? I remember only one, but I loved it and it's really worth it to sign up for the next one. Which we have an uh, open call right now, of course, which will take place in June 2021. But one of the traditions we have in the Minerva Center, and especially in the workshop, is having a drink every once in a while, usually after lunch. And because of the tradition and the fact that few of our young researchers, early or early career researchers, returned for that workshop, um, some of them actually brought uh, their own whiskey to share with the group. Uh, so that's Actually, I was right now drinking, I'm right now drinking the leftovers from the last workshop we've had. I can't wait for the next one and to see what bottle we'll have there. What bottles, in plural? <laughs> yeah, we might need that. Hopefully we'll have lots of participants to help us drink that. All right. Before we review and discuss the former guests that we had on the podcast, you know that I couldn't resist to prepare a few short questions for you as well. So when you're ready, there we go. Let's go. I usually ask about the morning routine of my guests. And in this case, I was wondering, around what time of day do you start thinking about the podcast? That's an interesting question, which really gets into the way my mind processes these kind of things, which is, I have to say that the podcast is on my mind almost all times throughout the day, either when I'm doing social media or doing editing or I'm thinking about uh, what guests to invite to the show. But usually I try to be professional about that and leave editing and dealing with uh, the podcast to the evening hours when my productivity goes a little bit lower and I reduce the amount of work I'm doing either on my day job or, or the PhD, or taking care of the kids and, and the house and stuff, yeah. That's it, you're mentioning the kids. Um, your day generally starts earlier than mine. I think mostly due be, to the children <laughs> that I don't have. 
Um, so I usually start thinking about the podcast when I get a message from you with an update about a potential guest or an edit or things like that in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I usually try to wake until it's a decent hour before I send you something like that. But yeah, sometimes I, I, I get up much earlier than you. I'm quite sure about that. Um, sometimes it's about 6 a.m. when I'm being uh, waking up quite brutally by one of the children. Uh, but all in all, yeah, uh, the podcast is it's a project of passion in a way. So it's something that we do for fun and we do because we have some interest in doing that. And therefore, when you're doing something for, for fun as we do it that way, every time you have a thought about it, you're actually excited about taking it forward. So I don't have hours where I'm starting thinking about the podcast. Luckily, I don't dream about it yet. Okay, that's a good thing. But I'm happy to be on board on this project with you and to share the passion for moving it forward to the next season, right? But first, what part of the podcast do you like best? Definitely not the editing. Uh, <laughs> having said that... The part that I like the best is the part where no one else knows about but me and, and the guest you've had. And this is the part that I actually cut out of the podcast. The, the retakes, the, the, all the, the stumbles of the, uh, either you or the guest trying to hit the right note and, and make the right point. These are definitely some of my favorite uh, parts of the podcast. Uh, parts that actually stay within. I think it's every time when the guest is a bit surprised by the question, which usually comes with the first questions, with the, the quick first questions that you, you're throwing right. at them. And then, uh, yeah. Sometimes you get really funny answers and then really unique and, and definitely on-the-spot questions because I don't know what questions you're going to give them. They don't know which questions you're going to give them. And if you're going to talk later on about the process of how we are getting guests, then I will tell you that I'm actually trying to prepare them for that. But I, I told them in advance, I don't know what Danny is going to ask you because she's deciding each time on different questions and and hear them later on trying to struggle with that on spot is, is quite amusing i have to say i like the short questions too i've even had one guest coming up on the show and he had listened to a few episodes um, but he didn't realize that the short questions were different every time so he had prepared a few short questions for a different episode so that he knew what to tell me when I was going to ask him these short questions, but then it turned out to be completely different. And he was shocked. He was like, oh, I wasn't ready. But it, it really, um, it works like an icebreaker, doesn't it? You get to know the guests so much better and um, it really opens you up to the second part of the conversation. So I like that too. Yeah, and then it's a good thing that they don't know in advance what are the questions because it makes it more spontaneous and that's their real icebreaker. Because if they had known what the questions are going to be, then they would have prepared and everything would be very mechanical from that point on. But by keeping it spontaneous and then with surprises and the unknown, what changes the entire uh, uh, rhythm of the show. I think so too. Talking about spontaneity, what was one of the funniest things that you heard on one of the raw materials that you've received for editing. Are you sure you want to share that? Well, <laughs> you're the one who can cut things out. Yeah, I do. It's definitely you trying to say the names of the guests. There's no doubt about that. That that's gonna make it's me, hard. That's gonna make me laugh <laughs> time after time. This is a struggle, and the struggle is real. We've had guests from all over the world, from different places. Um, I'm not a native, I mean, I'm only native to Dutch, and it sounds very different from any other language, so even Hebrew names I struggle with. 
and and there have been times where I've had to repeat a whole introductionary part just because I messed up the name and I find it so important to say it correctly because it's really a trademark of a person and you don't get to see them on a podcast you only get to listen to them so I really want to say it correctly I also really don't like it if someone pronounces my name wrong which happens every now and then so I try really hard but maybe I'm trying too hard and that causes quite some blooper I guess (laughs) what skills did you gain after one season as a producer and editor of a podcast Hmm. What skills did I gain? That's gonna be or learn something new. Well, definitely learn how to edit audio. I knew because of the stuff we do in Minerva. I knew uh, some video editing, but I didn't. I wasn't very very strong with regard to audio editing, and and I'm still learning. But all in all, I think I've, I'm I'm dealing quite well with the audio editing at this point of the podcast. I think some of, uh, we have even received some feedback and reviews from uh, either guests or listeners saying that it doesn't really sound like you're doing a long distance interviews with the editing, which is probably the best we can uh, hope for under the conditions we are working on right, with right now. Great compliments. I'm ch- still trying to learn how to reach more guests and more viewers and thinking about what would make the show more interesting. And we are trying throughout the the process. We are trying different methods. We are trying different systems um, to get our audience more interactive with the show. And we are trying different methods. and, And I think some of them have failed miserably. And some of them have managed to work quite well. And from each one, you learn. You learn what's, what's good and you learn what's not so good to, to our show, at least. Um, so, yeah, you keep learning from every from every episode and every attempt we're doing. Um, even the decision to move from every other week to every week uh, is something that we've learned a lot from. That's right. Um, it's been a crazy roller coaster. And we'll talk a little bit about how um, the corona situation and doing long-distance interviews has been a change for us during the first season as well. But my last short question first is, what makes a podcast a success to you? Is it about the amount of listeners you get, the followers that we have on social media, or the impact and feedback maybe you get from people who listened or from the guests? Even when we started, we said right from the day one that... We are lucky enough to do it within the framework of Minerva, which means that we are not doing it for money. We're not doing it to gain sponsors or anything like that. We're doing it because we find it interesting and we think that we have a message to convey and we want our listeners to get that added value. And I think that this is how I would measure a success. If we actually managed to convey a message, we actually managed to reach even to one person would say, yeah, that that episode actually helped me. Helped me think about the PhD, helped me with issues of uh, understanding better, uh, be more aware of mental health issues during PhD or in academia in general, or imposter syndrome uh, or what it's like to do a PhD abroad or, or what what happens the day after the PhD or where should I publish I think that that's a success for our type of podcast we don't care about the numbers as much as we care about sending the message and that's for me what uh, success is all about here here I agree with that So your answer actually leads us right into the part where we're going to dig deeper into some questions that are really about the reviewing of former episodes and guests, which is what this episode is all about. So one of the first things that I wanted to discuss is the process of selecting guests. You've just mentioned that the whole added value is uh, conveying this particular message. That's the goal. 
of our podcast. So how do you find guests that fit to the message that we're trying to convey? The first guests weren't a big quest to get them. We started with our friends. That's right. The first few guests of our show are their f- friends and or actually no or and uh, researchers affiliated with the Minerva Center. Uh, so the, I think in the first episodes, we actually had we had Katarina, who is uh, uh, affiliated with our Young Researchers Forum, and we had Yaniv, who used to be uh, a postdoc at the Minerva Center, and we had Rotem, who was doing... Uh, that was number three. Yeah, who was doing her uh, postdoc at the Minerva Center. But then things changed a little bit. Suddenly, we received calls from people saying, I want to be a guest on your show. And that was a big change for that us. That was quite shocking to me. I was very surprised by that. That was when I started realizing that people were actually listening to our episodes. Because these were people that I haven't, that I didn't know before, that I haven't heard of before. Even though some of them did come from the University of Haifa. Yeah, and and that was a very, very happy moment to get that first email saying that, I want to be a guest on your show. I just finished my PhD. And I want to tell my story. And we had that. The first one, the first non-related guest that we had was Ile. Remember her? That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Episode number four. And and she had an interesting definitely. story. Definitely. She had an interesting story. And it's not about, even only about the interesting stories of the journey. It's also about... The topic of research, it was very interesting to learn about. It was very interesting to hear about her uh, field of research and ageism and and all that was super interesting. And very timely. And very timely because it was within the context of lockdown and COVID. Yeah. Then we started to think about people that we don't know. And most of the people that we weren't familiar with before, who didn't approach us, which were some of them, um, was mainly through social media. And the activity in social media, then we, when we started the podcast, we divided the work we had on social media. Because you're doing Instagram, and I, I'm behind the Twitter account which uh, um, is very, very interesting experience. I wasn't much of uh, a Twitter person prior to that. And that made me actually, the podcast made me much more into Twitter than I ever been. So maybe that's also a skill that you've gained to work social media accounts like Twitter. We're also on Facebook and I'm working on the Instagram account. Yeah, you could say that. I don't think I can do that professionally or even uh, think I'm trying to keep the Twitter account somewhere between promos for the podcast and supportive of the general message of this podcast, which is basically positive vibes in in the framework of academia and throughout the process of being active on twitter i got into some conversations with other accounts basically and when when i saw that this might be an interesting person with an interesting story to tell and they are active and they have an interesting field of research and the whole package is there. I actually approach them and ask them, would they be interested to be a guest on our show? I think in most cases, I think in all cases, we had received a positive answer. Some of them due to technicalities didn't fall through, but we're still hoping for, for it to work out. Luckily, it came out quite well. I mean, every person 
we reached out to social media, came out very, very interesting. Some of the stories we didn't even think about when we approached them. And some of the stories were so interesting on the one hand and so inspiring on the other hand that I'm very happy that we went through that way of actually approaching people that we are not familiar with and we know them only through social media to ask them to be guests on our show. All right, so this is good for everyone who's listening to know. If you are someone with an interesting story or if you know someone who would like to be interviewed or has something to tell, then contact us, like we said, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's not about an interesting story. We are not looking for someone who is that unique story because the whole agenda idea thought behind this podcast is that everyone has a story. We've had people saying, I, when we approach them, they say, I, I didn't think I have a story. And when they finish the recording, they said like, wow, I actually have a story. When they actually listen to the edited version. And I said like, yeah, that, that actually have an interesting story to tell. And, and that's part of the idea behind the podcast. When we started the podcast, the idea was to talk with young researchers or early, uh, early career researchers, depends how you uh, want to call it, and to say everyone has their own story. Everyone has their unique story, their own challenges, their own struggles, their own success stories, but once you take it and, and you actually listen to the story, you realize that a lot of other early career researchers actually identify with a lot of aspects within that person's story because a lot of the struggles and a lot of the, the challenges and I'm sure that a lot of the success stories are something that almost every PhD student or candidate goes through and every postdoc candidate, go, uh, postdoc fellow goes through. And that's a main part of the idea of this podcast is that your story is your own story, but it's definitely relatable by many, many others. That's right. Everyone has their very unique experience. But in the end, what we all have in common is that we're on this academic track. And that gives us also similar experiences um, that we can relate to and also give tips to each yeah, other. The tips, the tips are great. What's your favorite tip? Um, well, there are some things that I, I, I like having a little bit of confirmation. Hearing other guests say... Things that I already thought so. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not the only one who thinks <laughs> that. Um, those little things make me happy. And we've heard David Mendes, for example, and Sophie Posadek, but also Katarina Konerek, uh, say that sports was so helpful for them to really be out of their uh, working area and out of their research to just turn off and do sports. And, and I do the same thing and it helps me so, so much. Uh, so that's something I like. But I think the best tip that I've received uh, of something that I didn't know yet before that was by uh, Renske de Klein, who really gives tips about how you can improve your interactions with your supervisor and how you can look at feedback in a different way. Um, and I think those are very important points for me to take with me. Yeah, definitely. I think I also like the Jonathan Collier who had, uh, I think he even actually put it on, on the promo of that specific show, saying that listen to your supervisors. Listen, they, are, they have your best interest with their advice and with their uh, guidance. But at the end of the day, this is your project. This is your research. This is your PhD. And you need to know where where to put the line between 
the guidance on where to stand up and say, no, 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 this is what I think, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to say in that, uh, in my research, in my writing, in my project. Jonathan was actually great. He's in episode 14, and we did make a promo, especially about that, that it's your project uh, for that particular episode. And I think uh, another tip that... Oh... Who am I thinking of? Thinking of I was thinking of Yaniv, but I don't think Yaniv was talking a lot about publish well rather than publish a lot. Right. It was quality over quantity. Yaniv's uh, advice was very practical, saying that you need to publish, you need to wait until you're able to publish in the high-ranked uh, journals or reviews over just publish a lot in in the low uh, low ranked journals and that, that that was a very practical advice so that was yeah. a great tip talking about publishing i also like the tip that uh, your um actually the guy with the same name as you ido kilovati said um it's not only about publishing in art- articles which you of course have to do um if you want to get tenorship but he also said something about how you have to try and put your name out there. And something that could help doing that is publishing uh, shorter things in, uh, as like op-eds, for example. So he wrote for Wired um, and other smaller papers that are also more accessible to a broader audience. And I thought that was a great Yeah, point. also uh, we had that discussion with uh, Jonathan Collier. And we've had that specific discussion also with Yaniv Rosnay, who, with him, we actually got into the, the details of where to publish. And his advice on that was, uh, bear with me, it's episode two. Um, he said it's better to publish in professional blogs rather than have your own personal blog which uh, you can write on whatever you want because in the professional blogs all the people from your profession are going to go and read and it's going to be edited and vetted by uh, um, the serious people from your field so it would have more weight to put your name out there and also more visibility of course yeah, yeah it w- that that would put your name out there Okay, so now I know what to do. <laughs> Still working on that one. <laughs> and also on publishing. People hear a lot about you, right? They, well, they, if they actually listen from episode 1 to episode 19, they can learn a lot about you. Of course, where you came from, what are your hobbies, and what, do you, what is your research about. And of course, if they actually want to li- hear more about you, they can go and listen to your interview on uh, Papa PhD. That's right. Right, they can actually listen. You've, you've been interviewed. But how far along are you with, in your PhD right now? That's a good question. No, that's a cruel question. <laughs> it, yeah, but uh, I'm always trying to take it in a more positive way, right? <laughs> so I'm now one and a half years into the PhD. Um, I have a scholarship for three years. I can hand in my manuscript um, within four years, so I have more time left. And I'm still in the stage of data collection. Um, And I'm also currently trying to write a real serious methodology chapter, uh, which is of course a big part of the final dissertation, um, and also needs to be approved by two supervisors in two different countries. Um, Because I have a supervisor in Germany and here at the University of Haifa. So that needs to come through. And I'm a little bit delayed with the data collection because some of it is only available in certain libraries and archives in the Netherlands and Germany. And currently I'm not able to travel there. And some of the archives and libraries have even been closed to the public. Uh, So we'll have to see how that goes. So you brought up not being able to go to the archives. That's a that's Corona. That's a COVID nineteen thing, right? Definitely, yeah. And it hasn't only changed my research. Uh, I'm not so sure about your research, but it has definitely changed um, our podcast. Yeah. 
Yep, definitely. Right? You had to move into long-distance interviews way, way before we were prepared for that. I think so, too, because how many episodes did we actually record in our studio at the Minerva Center at the university? Three or four. I think we just did three, to be honest. I, I have to <laughs> go back in time a little bit to double-check it, but we had these beautiful microphones and uh, a great setting within the Minerva Center, uh, where I would then be able to speak to my guests and share my drink with them. But that ended very fast because the university was closed um, due to uh, the start and the lockdown of the corona caused by COVID-19. And then we had to change. We had to think about, are we going to keep doing the podcast? Or are we going to wait and see when this thing blows over? And unfortunately, it still hasn't really. Uh, to record again on set. So here we are doing it online. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, after basically a full season of mainly long, long distance interviews, doing through Zoom and, and, and through phones and, and whatever, um, We've managed to do uh, quite a nice season. A lot of good interviews. And, and it's more than that. Because uh, we weren't sure about how to do the long distance at first. We were very hesitant about that. And once we started doing the long distance interviews. And we saw actually that that's working quite well. We basically went with it. And we started doing interviews with guests from Australia, guests from Canada, from the U.S. Where, where we had guests from? Let's see. All kinds of countries in Europe. We've had uh, Britain, the Netherlands. We've had someone in Germany, but they were actually doing it in uh, Belgium. We had someone from Italy who had done their research in Finland. Well, we had a Brazilian who's done, uh, who's do, who's done her uh, PhD in the U.K., that too. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the thing I like most about our podcast is the diversity of the guests. In a way, the uh, long distance recording has also allowed us to get more diversity. Yeah, guests. otherwise we would have stuck much more to Minerva researchers, which we still put focus on. And Haifa or people are either coming to Haifa or able to be in Haifa. Uh, just take advantage of the fact that sometimes people come to Haifa. Uh, and then send you with a microphone to travel and try to record people uh, wherever you are. Uh, but moving to the long distance actually freed us to talk with whoever we want to. So... A lot of diversity. We've obviously had uh, men and women, even though we did have a lot more women uh, than men in total. Um, Which is something that we really support and we really like it within our show. Definitely. Uh, but some very strong women and also women in STEM, which um, is not, as we say in Hebrew, Muvan uh, a given. So that was, that was actually a nice surprise for me too. It's not only not not given it's really not our field of research we know nothing about stem that's right yeah sometimes i have a hard time pronouncing words that are related to research in stem as well and i already hear you laughing because i know you like hearing me stutter and struggling with these things yeah when you present them and try need to say what their field of research is and you're basically reading from paper words that you don't know what they mean, but you're not even sure how to pronounce them. <laughs> but also learned a lot. Uh, I now know a lot more about broccoli than I used to, and why it is healthy. Thanks to Sophie. Yeah, and autophagy, right? This is how you would say it? Autophagy? Yes, you might yeah. have said it better. <laughs> Mr. Hira? That's right. And then... Uh, we've also had um, some people who talked about um, being an academic or an early career researcher having children, um, while others went through uh, this research time very alone. I think 
we had the, the episode with Shelley, Shelley Turner, uh, from Australia, from uh, Monash, I think, was the name of her, is the name of her That's university. Right. And, and her subtitle was Life Continues While PhDing. And I think that was one of the strongest episodes we've had. She's been through a lot throughout her PhD. And she still managed to finish it. And, and, and to remember that at the end of the process, a PhD is something that you do, but your life continues while you do stuff. You can't avoid everything you're doing. So if you have kids, you need to take care of the kids while you're doing your PhD. And if you get sick, you get sick while you're doing your PhD and suddenly the PhD important as it is might not be the most important part of your life and it makes it sometimes harder to finish takes longer to finish your PhD and we've had guests whose PhD journey lasted about a decade and but they've managed to finish and i think shelley's story shelley's episode was one of the most um inspiring episodes we've had and and i still uh enjoy listening to her uh very much i liked it very much too it was a beautiful episode and she's also very active on Twitter, so you can find her there and see whatever ha- ever is happening nowadays in her life while she's actually trying to build her academic career. Um, let's see, what else do we have? We have people who've really done the... Back, who already knew from the moment they were born, probably, what they were going to do in their life, right? Like, we've had people who've uh, studied something in biology and then continued with it all the way to the end and into the postdoc we've had people who've been doing that in law um and who always knew what they were interested in but then we also had people who actually changed throughout their studies we've had renske in episode 16 who changed from musicology to educational sciences and we've had ronen from our minerva center in episode 9 who started architecture, and he is actually an architect, and then moved on to continue studying more political theory and learn about how cities are resilient during uh, conflict. So these were very interesting stories to see what caused people to stay in the same place or switch to something completely else. What about you? Your How was your process within that field? You, I call myself an interdisciplinary researcher. For a reason. <laughs> I started with a BA in uh, Humanities and uh, Middle Eastern Studies, which is more languages, cultures, a little bit of history, a little bit of politics, but um, more really humanities. And then I went to my MA in Social Sciences, in Political Science, and specifically uh, Diplomacy Studies and International Relations. Um, but now I'm doing my PhD in an interdisciplinary research center um, on European Studies. So I'm trying to always combine everything that I like together uh, with the knowledge that I gained in a step before that. Um, But it's really a little bit all over the place. So you asked me earlier, what's my favorite part in the podcast? Yes. Right? It's interesting because the more I think about it, and I kept thinking about that since you asked that, and I think that my favorite part in the podcast is actually the pre-talk. The part that it's not at all within the episode. The part that you're even not, sometimes not even aware of that. As a producer, I'm doing a talk with the guest to explain them what the show is about, how it works, how they should prepare themselves, uh, both technically and... and uh, on, on substance, uh, I tell them how to prepare, what to bring with them, the fact that they 
do need to make sure that they have a, a drink, which we will soon talk about. And and I, it's a much easy-going conversation because it's not recorded, it's not part of the podcast, and I get to know the guests, see them, and interact with them, and it's a really fun process. Some of the talks um, actually goes beyond talking about the, the podcast. I think I was uh, it was with uh, Renske when we started talking about imposter syndrome and about her research. Uh, and, and in that talk, I learned a lot from her about how to make sure that I get the feedback that I need from the supervisors or for someone else. And it, it, it was fun talking about it with her outside of the episode. And, and I think that having that pre-talk with guests is part of the benefits of doing what I do in, in the podcast. Sounds good. All right. Mm, and what was the most surprising thing you might have learned throughout uh, the podcast and the episodes? I think for me, it was very interesting. I mean, when I started hosting this podcast, I didn't really know what to expect. And I thought that it was going to be mostly me talking to people who are further along in their PhD, postdoc or academic career journey um, that I would just was just going to learn a lot from because they had all the answers. And then I just had to ask and then they would give me the answer and then it would become easier for me to do the PhD. Um, which is also why I volunteered to do the the hosting for the podcast. I thought it would be a win-win situation for everyone. But then along the way, I kind of figured that there were a lot more struggles. That, as you said, some are very unique to particular persons. But that are also very common and that are things that, since the start of the podcast, I've even bumped into uh, along the way. Um, and then I thought about these things that people had said on the podcast was like, this is exactly what they were talking about. And I'm happy that I talked about this when it's happening to me, because now I know how to relevate it a little bit and how to deal with it. So uh, for me, that was a bit more surprising. And also, of course, because I already heard you laughing, that people who've been through all these stages still might not have all the answers. <laughs> yeah. So... What was my biggest surprise within that process? The first surprise was that we actually have listeners. The second surprise was people actually contacting us to be on our show. Right. And I think the third surprise was when people actually contacted us asking how to do a podcast. Right, because now we were the experts <laughs> all of a sudden. Yeah, but in our mind, we're still like the amateurs. We're still trying to figure out stuff. Yeah, that, that was also a bit of a surprise. I think even a bigger surprise was to find out how much knowledge we can actually pass along to when they when asked about it. Uh, so, and then you learn how much you learned throughout the process of that podcast. So looking back on the moment where you've decided it could be a really fun idea to start a podcast through the Minerva Center uh, and today finishing yeah. up the la the first season, was it what you expected it to be? Um, yeah, actually, yeah. Oh, that's I good. Think when I came up with the idea for the podcast, I said that the podcast should have two legs. One is the personal journey of that person, and the second one is their uh, field of research. So the idea is, talk, let's talk about your journey, how you reach up to this point, and let's talk about your research. What are you actually doing? What are you actually doing at this point? And we've managed to get to a point where both the journey and the field. Of research of the actual work are interesting they are educating and it's fun to listen to so that was the vision and I think 
we actually fulfilled that that we are actually doing that and it's a lot because of you I mean you, you're delivering the show you're hosting the show and as much as I can play with editing at the end and as much as I can cut things out I still need to have good material to use into the show rather than the the all the jokes that are left outside because they're gonna make me uh, laugh but they are not relevant to the show at the end of the day we do need the good material we need the questions and we need the follow-up questions and I know how well you prepare for each guest towards the show I know how much you invest in thinking about the, the silly questions at the beginning and using the icebreakers and using the follow-up questions which are sometimes go very deep into the material and the story and sometimes they are uh, meant to actually help understand what they are talking about because if they are talking about broccoli we know how to cook it we don't really know how to research it and when it comes to STEM it's not that easy to ask uh, the right questions and to ask the relevant follow-up questions since it's not our field not your field and not my field and therefore it's a lot of the success of the show is based on you oh that is so nice I appreciate that so much it's good to hear some positive feedback <laughs> even though every now and then negative feedback only improves us right um, no, but that's that's really nice. I do put a lot of effort in um, to preparing my chats as a host with our guests. I think it's very important that they're at ease and that they know that I've put in that time and effort because they're also giving their precious time uh, to sit down with me and talk about whatever it is they feel is important to convey. Um, so I appreciate it that you've picked up on that. Um, but of course, it's also the other way around, because I do stutter every now and then. Um, and sometimes the flow isn't that great, and then we really need a good editor. And of course, you are the brain behind the podcast. So without you, it wouldn't even have started. So thanks for that. Cheers. Cheers to that. The last bit of the bottle. Yeah, pretty much. So let's talk about the drinks. <laughs> All right. The idea of the drinks actually was even with the pitching of the show, right? As we started talking about the show, we said, yeah, that, that should be some kind of a gimmick that we're going to play with. And of course, it helps when the guest is a bit, uh, is into it and, and plays along. Some of them don't really like your signature drink. Well, I don't understand that. <laughs> and, and I think in, in that uh, part, the long distance element actually helps mm -hmm. because they can choose whatever they want to drink and not whatever we have at the Minerva Center. True. But the thing is, uh, part of the pre-talk uh, that we've mentioned before, I told them about the fact that the conversation, one of the things we play with is that the conversation is over a drink. And... And then I need I, I reassure them that when we say a drink, we mean between water and whiskey, basically. So the whole range is available there. And sometimes, actually, you have to because when you interview someone in Australia or in Canada... Oh, the time difference. The, the, the time difference <laughs> is going to be a problem. Uh, one of you is going to be in the morning. That's the thing. It's happened to me too. Um, there's, I think, one or maybe two episodes where it actually had a coffee instead of an actual Disarono. Because it was early in the morning and I just couldn't get myself to <laughs> start this way. The two Australians. Yeah, I think it was with the Australians. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And people have come with really original drinks too. Right, like um, and and beautiful mugs and cups and glasses as well. <laughs> I've seen everything. <laughs> and we actually have most of them on uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter. 
We're trying to make sure that you take photos of uh, the drinking part during the episode. Well, you're trying to do that. I'm not part <laughs> of the recording. Um, and then we actually we post them. We have to post a picture of this recording as well. Yeah, yeah. We took a photo of that of us drinking. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, what was the most creative drink or most interesting drink of a guest? I think it uh, um, got both points on the mug and the originality of the drink um, with Tahira. Yeah. Uh, she was on episode 15. Uh, I was... let, 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 let me try. Tahira was drinking chai. That's right. She was drinking chai, um, Tra- but in, in chai. a very traditional way, right? Like the real deal. Um, and she had this beautiful mug. And I don't remember what was on front of it. Maybe it was a cow, but it was like a really big mug that you can then like really hug. Um, and it had a little pocket on the front that you could stick a cookie in. So you would always have your cookie with your drink. And I just thought it was amazing. And every time we were talking and every now and then the glass went up to her mouth and then I could see it in the screen and then when she put it down I wouldn't be able to see it anymore. So every time I came up I would see this cup with the cookie and I would be like, why am I not sitting next to her for the recording so I could also have one? I think, who was it? Uh, Sophie with her chocolate, hot chocolate and brandy. That was, was a very fancy cool. drink. Mm-hmm. That was a fancy drink. And we had, I remember the recent ones of course. Um, we had we had Nevena with a local beer, which was really nice, and it also had a really nice um, can that it came in. Yeah, and we had Renske with the Zero Heineken. True. And then... And we had Ronen with the uh, local Arak. Yes, the Arak, I almost forgot about that one. That was a good one as well. And then we had Hanna with a Rosé wine. And Jonathan with the Gin and Tonic. Right. Rotem had a beer. Mm-hmm. Tamar had a wine. Had well, a you remember wine. better than I do. Yeah, I mean, you, you hear it once. I hear it ten times when I edit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Katarina and Yaniv and Micah had to drink the Amoretto because they were actually recorded in the Minerva Center. Which is not a bad thing. You say it as if it's a bad <laughs> thing. <laughs> but it's really good and it smells really nice too. Well, it's a question of taste. <laughs> not everyone is a fan of Amoretto, but they, because they were actually recorded at the Minerva Center, they had no choice of their own. Exactly. <laughs> Who did we miss out here? Well, we still had Emre who had his Turkish tea. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. I think we covered most of them. You, you were talking about Emre, which reminded me of Emre's alternative plan. Oh, His yes. plan B. Alternative yeah. plans to the academic career. Uh, we've had a few people touching upon that, but with Emre we went into detail a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to open a restaurant. And he's carefully considered it as well. He was going to have some traditional Turkish food. Um, and I think he was going to be more of a manager than a chef. But uh, he, I think he's ready to write down a menu already. Yeah, and, and I think food in general was an issue in the show. Well, food brings people closer together, they say, right? Food is something you enjoy together. Um, people usually have good memories of it. Um, and then, of course, there were some researchers who were actually working on foods. Um, so, so this was something that uh, I I like to talk about a lot. So maybe it's also just me <laughs> leading the conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but we talked about food. I asked them uh, what their favorites were, um, what they could eat all day long, um, and also about these backup plans. And then sometimes restaurants really came up. So let's talk about one of the one of the significant issues that came up in that in, in our show is the issue of mental health in academia. This was definitely a recurrent theme um, that I, from the start out, didn't expect to be um, talked about that openly um, and that much. For me, that was a bit of a surprise. 
But I'm very happy that um, we are a platform where people feel comfortable to talk about these things and where we can share these things with others to know that these things unfortunately happen, um, that people struggle with mental health in academia and that it's okay to, to share those thoughts and to find out what things might help you to get past that. I think we've seen a lot that there is a need for support, either a support group or institutional support, uh, uh, family support. Support in general is very, very important to manage mental health issues well while you're in academia. And unfortunately, it's not necessarily the case every time. But when it, when it is, and the system is supportive, and the surrounding is supportive, then we see that our guests have managed to power through the difficulties. Some of them, they're, they're going to continue with forever, but they can manage with them. The, the, the most significant uh, stories is of Sophie who has taken her own personal story and became an advocate and a champion for mental health in academia. And, and her story was very inspiring on that front. It was, and what I found particularly interesting, and which is something that I still think about today, um, was where she said that she was actually diagnosed with uh, bipolar type 2. Uh, which is a serious condition that she has learned to, to live with and to deal with. Um, but when she spoke about this for the first time with peers uh, during her PhD, some of them had told her, oh, this is something we all go through. Breakdowns do happen and, and you can feel very lonely and then you can feel very, very bad um, and be in a very bad place that might be difficult to, to get out of. Um, and, and that's when Sophie also started realizing that she, it might help others and also herself to, to start talking more about it and to be an advocate, right, for mental health, uh, uh, for awareness, raising awareness also about it in academia. Yeah. Then there's, of course, the imposter syndrome, um, which is talked about a lot um, and what in some episodes might not have been called imposter syndrome, but something that has been discussed anyway. Um, and it's something that also Tahira and Renske definitely uh, title this and name it this way. So that's something that I now know what I have <laughs> every now and then, um, that I'm not alone in that, um, that it's very common for people in academia to have imposter syndrome, to feel like they're not good enough, um, as if they're kind of faking their way through research um, but that that's something that we, we're going to have to deal with and that we have to understand, okay, so maybe you're the only one working on this right now, but it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. And there's also always a way to improve. Um, so it was very nice to talk about that. Yeah, I think the fact that imposter syndrome is so common and so uh, widespread is that you need to make the next step and realize that or even that supervisor that you think is so great and so smart has probably went through that same imposter syndrome when she or he were younger in academia. And, and, and if you re accept that point and you realize that, it should make your life a little bit easier. Uh, when you're taking your, first, your own first steps in academia. Okay, so I think something that also came up in various episodes is that you don't have to stay in academia just because you have a PhD. Even if you successfully completed it and you're not an imposter, but you might not get that dream job that you were hoping to get simply because there's too much competition or life happens as we've heard in other episodes, uh, that didn't allow you to get that dream job at a certain point in time. Um, there's also 
other ways and other things that you can do. We've had Adriana and also David Mendez talk about um, other things and switching your career. What did you think about that? I think it, it, it's important to know that it's not the one-way track, the PhD. PhD, um, I saw this uh, nice poll on, on, on Twitter the other day that asked people, when you're approaching the PhD, is that a thing of passion or is it a, a means to an end? That, that was very spot on because you do need the, usually the passion to your field, to your research, to do a PhD. It's a long process. It's a tough process that you will struggle with. And the end has to be interesting enough for you to power through. So if you're going for an academic position, you know that you have that goal in front of you. But if you don't necessarily have that option or you're not sure that you want to get there, there is that passion, that interest in your field is the only thing that it's going to keep you going. And, and realizing that there is that life after the PhD, even without, outside of academia, is very, very important to reassure you that you are going to be able to manage and not be as Katerina said it in first in, 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 in episode one, a highly educated taxi driver. <laughs> right. Plus, something that's very important from these conversations we've had on this topic um, is that it's not a failure. You're not a failure if you didn't continue a career in academia after uh, your PhD or postdoc. It's okay, even though a lot of people might not look at it that way or do feel like a failure if they don't get to that point. Um, but it's all right to do something that you would enjoy better or something that fits your life better at that time. And, and, and that's very important to talk about. Absolutely. All right. So I think we've discussed a lot of things um, reviewing all of the episodes that we've had in season one. Um, and I have one more question for you, which is what are you going to do in your break in between season one and two? <laughs> Work on my PhD. Right, that still needs to be done. <laughs> well, I think there is one thing that an interesting question is what is our vision for this, for season two? I mean, more of the same? Should we, are we going to have different uh, points of focus? Are we going to try to reach different geographical or uh, uh, research topics that we haven't had so far uh, of course we're still going to have guests from the Minerva Center and we are going to I've actually started, started planning elements of season 2 and we have um, a few very very interesting guests uh, in line that once we come back from the break we're going to schedule interviews with them so season 2 is going to be interesting but, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, definitely. And it's going to be very interesting to think how to improve what we're already doing. Because we have very, very interesting episodes. We have interesting guests. We have interesting questions. But it's always a question of how to improve what already is good how to reach more people, how to um, convey uh, the message of important topics. And if we actually want to choose a, a, a theme that will follow us and, and uh, uh, be with us throughout the process, throughout the season. And these are all questions that during the break I'm going to have to think about and we're going to have to think about and discuss in order to 
come very prepared to season two and make sure that our listeners will keep enjoying this show. That's right. A lot of thinking to do. I like that idea of a theme. I'll give that some more thought as well. And if anyone has any recommendations or comments, you can always share that on social media with us, of course. And and the fact that the show is going to be on a break doesn't mean that we're going to disappear from social media. We're still going to be active on Twitter. We're still going to be active on Instagram. We're still going to be active on Facebook. And if you want to ask us questions, you can contact us through these uh, platforms. And we will actually invite you if you haven't had a chance to listen to all episodes to go back and listen and, and even write to us tell us what was your favorite episode or what was an episode that um, uh, affected you in a, in a special way we would love to hear that from you yes I do like the interaction with our audience it's always nice to get some feedback Absolutely. Alright, so I think that that's a wrap for season one. So, as we said, we're gonna stay online. So, keep following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for more gifts, more questions, more comments. And make sure to interact with us because we're gonna stay online. So, see you there and looking forward to season two. 